Hello, Texans, and welcome to the program that gets you inside NRG Stadium. It's Texans All Access. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you as we get you ready for the schedule release in a couple of days. We talk about the upcoming rookie camp. We talk about more OTAs on the way for your Texans. Johnny, how's it going? Going very well, Mark. Uh, it was a fun show last night, but I missed you. But we had a chance to hear from all the luminaries, uh, Hannah and Cal we heard from, Greg Grissom. Of course, I played Greg last because, you know, he's our boss technically. Then there was somebody that was trying to poo-poo the schedule release. It was like, come on, man. Oh, Nick? Yeah. Nick has gone from <laughs> from summer Nick, which is more like winter Nick or something, into, all right, this week, rookies must earn their spot, which is perfectly understandable. But I think it was the delivery that hit me on this one. Nick's getting a game face on, yeah, Johnny. I like I, mean, it. I would think I like the game it. face would have been on around the draft, you know? Yeah. But I understand. here's what I understand, though. Here's the thing. Once you go through the draft, and I know there's OTAs and there's mini camps coming up, but I could imagine if I didn't have any of that to do, and I'm looking around going, I just was going 100 miles an hour every single day, just for eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, 14 hours a day. You're going that, and then all of a sudden it's over on Saturday, and you're like, and you come to a grinding, screeching halt. You're like, everything just keeps going forward. Like, how do I deal with that? I deal with that every single year. Every year I get to that Monday, Tuesday after the draft, I'm like, what do you know? He's what had a week to now? decompress, though. Listen, if you're if you're driving Vandermeer speed mm-hmm. and you just slam on the brakes, what happens? Like, yeah, it's hard to get adjusted to that. Yes, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's what happens. You yeah. need you need to, in some way, shape, or form, step away or just take a breath for a day or two, maybe two or three days. And sometimes you don't you're not afforded that opportunity, so you just stay in that mode. And you're kind of like, I'm in this mode. I'm staying in this mode. And now they're asking me about schedule. I don't care about schedule. You just stay in that mode, and it just takes a little while for it to kind of work out. Yeah, I think uh, he's just fired up about rookie camp coming up. The schedule release is what it is. The real pressure is on Clay Hampton and company. Yes. These guys who have to book the hotel rooms. That's major pressure the when major. the schedule comes out. All right, I got to book this. I got to book that. I got to right. book. And these hotels, they book up fast, especially post-COVID with all the backlog they have of weddings that didn't get done or oh, whatever big I events. Think about that, yeah. And you only have a few months, and weddings are booked up a year plus in advance. And I'm just singling out weddings here, conventions, other events that eat up banquet space. Parties. We've talked about this before. Major pressure on those guys to get the rooms booked for the road games. Anyway, we'll talk more about that Thursday when the schedule comes out. We'll be live 6 to 7 and then go live on all of our platforms with the actual schedule release at 7 p.m. It's going to be fun. You mentioned Clay Hampton. I happened to see Clay the other day. Yeah. They've they've already been doing site visits. They don't know when, and obviously that's hugely important. It is. But finding a place that you can say, okay, we like this place. Hey, if we come to you in September, mm-hmm. are you going to have this? If we come to you in October, are we going to have this? It, it, it's, it's such an interesting oh process. Gosh. I mean, are we, we've talked about this forever. We love our trips. Our trips, now 2020 was not so much, but just love the trip, the opportunity to, for 36 to 48 hours, and obviously the most important thing is it's a business trip. Got to go get a win. But I love the trips. You get out of town, you stay in a hotel, the whole thing. You can turn the AC down to 63. You can be frigid, <laughs> you know, the whole thing. But, man, Clay Hampton and his crew have got to handle all that, and I don't know how they do it. Every trip, 
when they're at the the back of the plane, I make sure to say thanks because I don't know how they do it. I don't know. I have trouble doing it for my family if we oh. ever go to like, and he's got to do it for hundreds of, of yeah. people. And they, I don't know how he does it. They get him going fast. They get him in Unreal. and out of these towns, and uh, it's great for us to be on the road and just describe to you guys what's going on. And and we see things at the games when we're there that we would not normally see. So even during COVID year, when Andre and I were doing most of the games off monitors, yep. large monitors with great audio, uh, we had you on site to yeah. help us uh, further paint the picture. Okay, let me paint the picture before we get into some of the big topics of the day here. Texas Charity Golf Classic yesterday, and you played all the sound from there, which was great. And for a great cause, Houston Texans Foundation. Texans are champions for youth. And we had all the representatives out there of the YMCA Boys and Girls Club, of Greater Houston, the Houston Food Bank. It was outstanding. All right, Davis Mills played. It was cool because here he is year two, and already uh-huh. he's this veteran playing in this golf tournament where veterans have played over the years. I remember the first one in 03, David Carr's group. I think they won it, and, you know, David could play some golf, yeah. okay? They were members out at Sweetwater when he first got yeah, here. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Davis is playing yesterday, and I talked to members of his team after the round was over. Yeah. Davis was not in sight during this conversation. And they said, yeah, it was interesting playing with Mills. He, because I said, is he very even keeled? I get that impression. You know, we always talk about how even keeled he is and nothing is too high or too low, whatever. They said, you know, when he got to the group, it was great. He was super polite, total gentleman. The first three, four holes for the whole group were kind of shaky in his group. And then on the fourth hole or something, everybody shanked their drive. And they had one in the fairway next to the hole where they really needed to be. And one of the guys is like, look, let's just use one of the mulligans here, okay? Yeah. And Davis is like, no, we got this. So he really wanted the challenge of hitting the shot, which had to go over the trees, you know, good <laughs> 180 yeah, or something, yeah. over the trees, yeah. and somehow find its way to the green. It's a scramble. You've got to get on so you can putt, right? You've yeah. got to have a chance to birdie every hole. Anyway, so the guy, he's not going to defy Davis, Captain Mills, so they go to the ball. It's in the opposite, not opposite, it's in the fairway next to the hole they're supposed to be on. And they all go, except for Mills, and they're all shanking again. Right? Oh, no. So now it's up to Mills. Mills drills a shot over the trees, parks it on the green, and makes the putt for the birdie. And he said, that's my quarterback. Yeah. And that was it. It was awesome because Mills wanted the challenge, and that got them going. Yeah, And they had a really good round after that, so I thought that was pretty funny. Well, he's got a good-looking swing. It ended up – a couple people, I think, Drew put it out there on video, and you just watch and you go – it happens – Big surprise. Yeah, it happens in in sports. You watch somebody, you know, throw or shoot a shot, swing a golf club, and you're like, oh, okay, that guy's – yeah, that guy's on it. Mm -hmm. Um, One of our – I was watching one day, one of our uh, equipment guys, uh, Adam, I was watching him throw the ball. I'm like, okay, he throws it way too well. Like he played somewhere. Oh, he did, and he did. Mm-hmm. We found out later on that he that that uh, that he did. He played in college. I thought, I want to say it was McAllister, Minnesota. I could be wrong with that. I don't I don't remember exactly, but but he did. He played in he played in college. But you could see it. Like you watch Davis and go, okay, he's played. Like his swing oh, yeah. was pretty smooth, and you're like, all right, he that made a good sound. It it wasn't like. He made contact, and then you heard a because the ball is like rolling, <laughs> like <laughs> like it would with with mine. So, uh, you, yeah, he's 
he's definitely got a quarterback swing. He's out there playing, and that's uh, that's cool. That's a great story, though. So, I love hearing that. One of the guys in my group, Connor, I'm going to mispronounce his last name, Mitchelson, Mickelson. He's from NCAP, uh-huh. uh, Gary Peterson's company. Yeah, yeah. And this dude can hit it a ton. Everybody in my group can hit it a ton, except for me, of course. You know, yeah. I can, you know, occasionally hit a good shot. Right. Anyway, this guy, we're on a 330-yard par four, so it's a short par four. Yeah. So one of the guys drives it too far, okay? <laughs> he drove. He overdrove the green. No, he so Connor, who oh happened gosh. to play, he played high school ball for a year with yeah. Rex Burkhead in Plano. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right? And then he played QB at Princeton, and I was talking to him about how tough Brown was. Uh, it was interesting. Anyway, um, so Connor gets out his three wood, <laughs> and he parks it on the green. 324, I guess, was the Holy shot. Smokes. Three wood, yeah. So these guys could hit it a little bit. And uh, no, but we used, you know, like I hit some pods and some short game shots, and that was good too. So I definitely contributed. We had a good time. But. I, when these guys were hitting it that far, I was thinking, I'm not even playing this sport. So, like I, this, I'm not even in this arena here. So when I was when I was in high school, this always used to come up. When I was in high school, my buddy and I, he ended up playing baseball at Baylor, Mac jo- Mac Jones, ironically, mm-hmm. Mac Jones. And the two of us, um, we we had started on varsity for four years, but in my senior year, we had a bunch of young dudes, and they could sky. And so they would come out and throw down in, in warm-ups, they would come out and throw down windmills and just come down the lane and dunk it. Mm-hmm. And here, me and Mac, with our, we used to call them power layups. We would, <laughs> power we would layup. go up and just lay it in. And they would come behind us and just throw it down. And we're, like, doing our little power layups. And I was like, yeah, boy, that looks like fun. Like, yeah. we're, we're really getting this crowd it's hyped a different with game. our power layups. And, and, but yet, we would be the two leading scorers, and, really? but our guys could – I mean, our guys could throw down. I mean, to a point where <laughs> we told our manager, we're like, film our warm-ups. And there are me and Mac leading off our little layups, and all of a sudden it's just a th- thunderstruck. So I can understand how you felt a little bit. Well, but ba- you got it done. I'm sure there were plenty of shots that they relied on you for. Back in the day when uh, Dr. J played at UMass, this is well before I was yeah. there, of course – uh, they were not allowed to dunk right. in college basketball, right. but you could dunk in warm-ups. Yes. And the gym would be packed for warm-ups to watch Dr. J, yes. Julia Serving back then, just put on a show and dunk. And as a freshman, he couldn't play. Yeah. I mean, so the freshman game would be loaded with people, and then it would the fans would trickle out for the varsity game. Pete <laughs> Maravich was like him. that at LSU, same thing. Wow. Pete Maravich, they would come to see the baby Bengal Tigers play to see Pete Maravich, and then the crowd would all filter out oh my once gosh. the varsity game would start because for, for that that very reason uh, because it was the same thing. Freshmen couldn't play. They had to play on the – they had to play on a little team, Lou Alcindor's team, UCLA. The first time they went in the gym together, they beat the team that had just won the national championship and beat them soundly. And here they are as freshmen. But they got to play freshman ball. Oh, I was that's- just – that's the wild. way it was back in the day. By the, by the way, speaking of uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, have you watched Winning Time on HBO? I haven't watched it yet, and you know what? Everyone tells me I need to watch it, but Johnny, I feel – look, I know the reality of it, and I feel like they bend it, and do I really want to see that? So it's talk me into it. It's, it's exceptional. It is. Okay. It's I'm, exceptional. I've seen it's, the clips. It's way more than just – it's way more than just, hey, we're going to run through the playoff. It's re- it really – 
it tells a very interesting story about it. But is it accurate? It's pretty darn accurate. The guy who plays Magic looks a lot oh, like, he's a, he's he looks a, like a great young Magic. He's an incredible player. You see him make Magic's moves, and you're like, really? oh, wow. Holy, well, he's from Michigan. He played football. He played uh, – gosh, I can't remember where he played. I think he played Division II football. But a really good athlete. He's exceptional. He is really good. Uh, Wood Harris, who plays uh, Spencer Haywood, Haywood, is exceptional. And whoever plays Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is really good, too. He really captures. I've seen him in a clip. He really captures the, uh, the right way of saying this, um, kind Essence. of the dichotomy of Kareem, who was kind of surly, and then Magic comes around, and then he kind of he kind of flips the light switch on for him, and he's like, "Oh, you know, let's win this thing." And John C. Riley as Jerry Buss, I was like, "Okay, I'm curious to see how this goes." He's perfect. Is you he? have to see it. He's a great it actor. It is. It's it's really really good. What a great part. To and be episode able to play seven. Buss. Somebody makes a cameo. Can't quite see her, but she knows where she is. Okay. Okay. I'll have a peek. Yeah. I'll have a look. I'll, yeah. I'm done with uh, Ted Lasso, and I was late to that party, of course. Done with season, season three. Two. It's coming. Oh, of course. What'd you think? I loved it. I loved season one more, mm-hmm. but I still love the show. Yeah. I still love the show. I thought, are they really running out of ideas already? But they're not. They're just exploring the characters and everything, yeah. and they play. They pay tribute to a lot of old movies, which I love in a yeah. show, right? The best part, though, is, is it season one or season two? This popped up because it was the anniversary of Allen Iverson's The Practice. We're talking about practice. Oh, yeah. They did when that. Ted Lasso went into it, and I knew what was going on as it's happening, and I just started cackling, laughing. And my family, we're all watching it together. And that's one thing. You can watch it, you know, with, I mean, my kids are older, so we can all watch it together. And as I'm laughing, they're like, what? And so then I paused it, and I went and got Allen Iverson's practice video from youtube and he went i let it go through stopped it and then i went and played the practice video and they're like oh my gosh that's really good yeah they do a lot of stuff like that that's gonna go over people's heads uh the beard after hours episode is a play on a movie called after hours starring griffin dunn that came out in the 80s yeah oh i didn't same thing i mean they they basically follow they don't follow it exactly yeah yeah but they have some elements of that and i knew right away what that was but that was very esoteric as a reference you know i knew it but uh you know i know some strange things anyway let's get to this now as the Texans signed Mario Addison, we talked about this because reports came out earlier, and also you saw the reports earlier today. Jerry Hughes, Austin High School, yeah. TCU, NFL veteran, is now a Houston Texan. Gut reaction. I'm pumped. I love it. Jerry Hughes, I got, I got to know in the 2009 Lombardi Awards. So that was Dominican Sue, Terrence Cody, um, Gerald McCoy. Mm-hmm. And it was Jerry Hughes. And I got to tell the story that my dad told me. So my dad was the, was coaching over at Kempner at the time. And he was telling me about this running back that they had faced over at Austin. He was like, Austin doesn't have any players. That guy's running back. This running back's really, really good. And but that's all he really told me. He just says, he's really, really good. My dad retired. He's watching the TCU game. He's like, hey, wait, whoa, that's him. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, the guy playing defensive end, Hughes, that's the guy. He's a former running back at Austin, and Gary Patterson turned him into a defensive end. And so I got a chance to tell Jerry that story as we, we did a we did a Lombardi Award breakfast back then. And he was all, he, he was awesome. I mean, he was just a really um, – at that time, he was kind of quiet and just kind of going with the flow. And it was really a fun time with McCoy and Sue and with uh, wow. Jerry Hughes. 
all this many years later, now he comes back to Houston, and I love it. I mean, it's a guy coming back to near his hometown, and you don't know what either he or Mario Addison have left in the tank. You'd like to think Rasheem Green at 25, I think he'll be 25 to start the year, uh, start the season. He'll be 25, and he's still a young guy. There were draft picks that were a little older than he was. But you kind of have a feeling, okay, Green's going going, you know, up, up the – he's going up the roller coaster – where are Jerry and Mario on the way down? I still think they've got some juice left. Just watching them last year with the Buffalo Bills, you're like, these guys could still get after the quarterback a little bit. Yeah. Now, are they are they seasoned? Yes. They've been around. Mario's 34. Uh, Jerry's uh, 33, 34 maybe, something along those lines. But, look, if you find something with one or both with some vets off the edge, yeah. I mean, my goodness. I mean – and Nick sat right in his seat that I'm in right today, and he said Saturday after the draft, we've got some things lined up with some guys, and they were all edge players. And you look back at the draft and go, okay, well, it makes sense. You know, they had been having these conversations all the way along, and they all came to fruition. They got those three edge players. And at that point, it almost makes me feel better about the draft that, yeah, it would have been great to get an edge rusher, but I had said this about edge rusher in the draft in 2022. Mark, was, it was very top-heavy. I felt like at the top of the draft, there were five, six guys. But then after that, I thought the pickings were a little bit slimmer. That The guys after that, like, I don't like this guy. He's got his background is not great. He's had some issues. This guy, I think he's a little light. This guy, I don't think he's got enough. Tw- it was like the, the guys after that, I didn't feel like running back and wide receiver. I felt like running back and wide receiver, you could find depth all the way throughout. I felt like edge was not quite, once you got beyond the top five, six, seven guys, once you got beyond that, if you would have said, okay, plan A would have been to get one of those guys. But if you don't, here's plan B. We focus on the other positions that we have needs or we got the best player available. Right. And then after the draft, we're going to end up signing these three guys. I would have been like, I like that plan. I like yeah. that plan a lot. Let's go with that, and that's essentially what they what they ended up doing. So, I I don't mind it at all. Now, again, do they come in and give you some value, kind of like Ninja did in 2016? That was a little different because he came in, I think, you know, later in the season. But they found a role for Ninja when he came back in 2016, and they needed him, and he did a really good job. Or are you getting Roosevelt Colvin the first day oh, you, boy. you saw him at training camp? And you're like, oh no. Well, that might happen. So, yeah, it's like, which one are you getting? But if one of them hits, that's good. And I, the local flavor is awesome. To bring Hughes back, and I know he was a Colt once upon a time, which still hurts, but at least you bring him back here for <laughs> yeah. a taste. You know, Joseph Adai was a Colt and a good one yeah. out of Sharpstown. And, you know, these local guys, it really hurts when they go to a divisional opponent, So especially when they're good. So I like this, that you get him back here. It's late in his career, but let's see what he has left. So, uh, And as far as the draft addressing issues and free agency, too, you can't solve all your issues no. in one draft no. and even in one free agent class, no. but they're bringing a lot of bodies here on the D-line to see what happens. So they have a lot of options, choices. That's what we said a lot yesterday, playing in a scramble. You want choices yes. Uh, so you can pick the best putt, pick the best DL, and it might be a variety of guys through the course of a season because somebody's going to end up on IR. They're going to come off. Yes. Maybe some players get stashed on the practice squad. Can you imagine Jerry Hughes on the practice squad? So some players get stashed there. 
and somehow, or maybe somebody goes home for a while, and then you re-sign them, they stay in shape. You never know. Yeah. So let's bring everybody to the party that you possibly can. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that. I think I think with Hughes, I know we got to get – we have to be getting close to the 90 number. Now, last year, I don't know if we brought 90 to camp. I know it was close, and there were some guys that were, I think, on IR. No reason not to uh, fill it up or at least get close, Yeah, I mean, as long as as your money situation is, you're not getting a a guy or two that's going to put you in a a bad position at that point. I talked yesterday and addressed the, the Bradbury thing, the Texans. And it doesn't sound like the, it doesn't sound like the Texans were alone in trying to make a deal with the Giants, but mainly it wasn't so much to make a deal with the Giants. The Giants were amenable to a deal, mm-hmm. but it was could you get a contract done for Brian, for Bradbury? Well, you can't get a deal done for Bradbury, so you go get Stephen Nelson, and you get Nelson, who isn't quite Bradbury. They, I mean, just size wise, they're different, just different players, and probably not the stature of Bradbury, but. You're not paying him what Bradbury's right. looking for. So you're really getting you know good value for a guy like Steven Nelson that you have, and you're like, hey, look, we just drafted Stingley. We now have got Steven Nelson. So it's like they pivoted. Plan A was, hey, we're going to go get Bradbury. And if we get Bradbury, then maybe we don't have to look at corner at number three. We can look elsewhere. But you know what? If we don't get Bradbury, hey, Steven Nelson's out there. We like him. His value is commensurate to his, his deal, and his deal is going to be way less than what Bradbury's looking for. And look, we're sitting number three. If we like Stingley, let's go for Stingley. And I don't know in what order that all comes in. Maybe they were really high on Stingley all along. Maybe they felt like Bradbury and Stingley was the way they wanted to go. But once they got Nelson and they got him for a pretty good deal, hey, rock on, let's go. And apparently the Texans weren't alone with the Bradbury thing. That I don't know what he's looking for, but apparently it was teams, plural, that couldn't come to an agreement either. And so the Giants eventually had to let him go. You know what's funny? Divisional signings, I always talk about this. You tend to sign players that played in your division because you see so much tape on them. Against you, against each other, you see them twice a year. Wes Welker. Or what about this, though? What about Dennis Kelly now signing with the Colts, who has been with the Titans? They see a ton of tape on Kelly. Well, for the Texans getting Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes – well, we know what division they played in most recently. And you know who was in that division up yes. until last year? Nick Casario. Yes. Now, I know Hughes is only there maybe a year overlap or whatever it was. But so well, what? Was or was while. it Addison? Addison, Addison was, was only yeah. there for a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, Hughes, Hughes was there for a long time. Yeah. All right, I was thinking of Addison, who was yeah. in Carolina and some other yes. places. Uh, but anyway, the point is this. He saw a lot of tape on those guys. And yeah. Nick knows everybody anyway. But I just think that when you see players in your division, you just get a better sense of who they are. You just can't yes. help it because the mileage of tape you watch is from your division. I mean, when we went to Tennessee last year and played them, well, I can't remember what week that was. It was after the bye. And I'm talking to nearly everybody from Tennessee. Now, they've got Mike Vrabel, who coached in Houston. But they had probably six or seven guys, six or seven guys that I went up to. Was like, "Hey, man, it's good to see you again. How's the family?" That played here, you know, in Houston. And you know, you look last year, and Danico Autry had been with the Colts. Where did he end up? He ended up in Tennessee. So it's not it's not unusual for for any of that to happen. And I can promise you that Nick watching the Bills twice a year had the same feeling. Whenever we whenever we were playing. The Panthers, we played them a couple times, 15, 19, um, when, um, when uh, Addison was there. He always bothered me. 
And then when he went to the Bills, always just he's always bothered me, just from a an opponent perspective because he's he, I don't know how to explain it, but he's ferociously violent and yet he's pretty quick, and so he can present a lot of issues for your for your edge tackles or for your edge protectors tackles tight ends. And I just hate seeing them on the other side. There's just guys that always – you look over there, and I just hate seeing them on the other side. You know the other one that's like that? It was actually with the Patriots. And Nick talked about him as Lawrence Guy. Lawrence Guy with oh, the Patriots, yeah. it just always him. feels like this, this guy just kills us. We can't block him. We can't move him. He's always in the backfield on rundowns. God, this guy's a, he's a nightmare. That's the same kind of person. He's not the, he's not the highest profile person, player, but he makes an impact. And I always felt that way with Mario Addison where we played him. And just you watch him on, on tape and you're like, this guy's this guy's a problem all the time. I mean he had he had seven sacks this past year. He's thirty three years old, he had seven sacks. My God could, we could use somebody with seven He's sacks. He's got a knack for getting into the backfield. Oh. And Jerry Hughes had three sacks in the playoff game yeah. against the Bills. Well for the Bills against the Texans. So there's that. All right, coming up more likely to happen. We're going to play it, and certain things are going to come up in the conversation, including but not limited to somebody going to Fox after he's done playing. It's Texans Radio. Mark Vandermeer and John Harris with you. Appreciate you listening. As always, Johnny, are you ready for more likely to happen? Let's go. Let's do it. More likely to happen. More likely to happen. More sacks earned in 2022. John Grenard or anybody else on the Texans? Jonathan Grenard or anybody else on the Texans? More likely to happen. I'm going with Grenard. Okay. I think it's it. I think it's the year he stays healthy. I think he's always, always, always had a plan for rushing. He's always had a really smart plan. I mean, I've talked about that a, a number of times. He is he's an, he's an artist with how he does it with a little bit of a scientific approach, and I think he kind of puts that together. I've asked him about that, art or science, and I've talked to Jacob Martin about that, art or science, and, you know, they really think about it. They're like, you know, they kind of think of themselves as artists, but but they're very technical in how they go about it. Jacob was definitely that way, and John has, I think, gotten that way. I think this is the year that Grenard stays healthy. I think that he gets to double-digit sacks this year, and I think that's going to be the high. But I do think with what they have, you know, we talked about Addison – and Hughes in the first segment. But you still have Jordan Jenkins coming back. Remember that game he had against Miami? Yeah. He was incredible in that game against Miami. So you got Jordan Jenkins coming back. You got Derek Rivers coming back. And all Derek Rivers really has been guilty of over the years is just not staying healthy. If D. Rivers could stay healthy and stack one game after the next of being healthy, I think, you would, I think you would find a guy that could get to the quarterback. I mean, yeah. I go back to his days at Youngstown. I'm like, this dude, whew, he can get to the quarterback. If nothing else, and then we watch him at the Greenbrier go down and tear up his knee covering a kickoff. So it's just been he hasn't been able to stay healthy. But at that point, I still think Grenard leads the group. But I think the overall number goes up, especially with the vets that are around nice. him. And there are different combinations you can use. I mean, Rasheem Green, what do you have? Six, I think he had six sacks last year, six or seven sacks last year with the Seahawks. And I, Drew and I were six talking and about this. Uh, on in the lab, he's kind of like Demarcus Walker. You know, Demarcus was a guy that you could play on the outside, but you could move inside. But I think that Rasheem Green is a longer, taller, bigger, more explosive 
younger version of Demarcus Walker. But Demarcus had a lot of experience doing that. So I'm curious to see how they use Rasheem Green. But to have kind of an inside-outside component, you know, a chess piece that you're like, okay, we can put Addison, Grenard, Hughes, and Green on the field to go rush the quarterback and not have to not lose anything in the in the run game or leave Malik Collins out there, but you still can bump Green next to him and then put two edge guys out there. You've got options, and that's really what you want to have. You want to have options. Like we talked about golf tournament, just give me options. That's all we're looking for. All right, more likely to happen. Next one. More likely to happen. More likely to have more touchdown passes. Davis Mills or Zach Wilson or Ooh. Trevor Lawrence. Oh, Who's going to have the most touchdown passes, Johnny, of that trio from the 2021 draft class? And by the way, Kyle Trask will not be playing this year. Anyway, we'll get to that later. Um, I mean, I'm biased if I say Davis, but I do think I do think there'll be there'll be a number of touchdowns for Davis this year. The what I would pick between is Zach and Trevor. I think it's Zach. I think the Jets are ready to be the next team. Maybe not the Bengals, but the pieces are kind of there if you if you think about it. Now they don't have. They don't have they don't have the ball carrying <laughs> weapons. They don't have Joe Burrow, Johnny. I, I know. I He's got to play well. This is I, a big pressure situation oh, for him in the Big Apple. Listen, name a quarterback right now that's not under some that's not under yeah, they some, all some real pressure because of what's coming. Because the teams that you know, I mean, Davis. I hope he doesn't feel it, but Davis is his name is going to be mentioned with all that kind of stuff. Well, oh, they got to get a quarterback in this. Draft. These guys are coming. The C.J. Strouds and the Bryce Youngs and the Phil Dracovic and Spencer Rattler and all these different quarterbacks. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke from the U. Keep an eye on that guy. I know you love the Canes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy's a baller. So those guys are all coming. So these guys are going to feel the pressure that if it doesn't happen, they've done this for two years now. If it doesn't happen after two years, is that team ready to cut bait? Especially with now the Jets and solid drafted him. But the Bears, new head coach. New yeah. general manager. Are they going to look at Justin Fields and it doesn't happen in two years and go, no, 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 we're, we, got, we got other options that we like better than Justin Fields. Are they going to make a decision to make a change? Trevor Lawrence was the obvious number one pick. Trent Balky's still there, but Doug Peterson wasn't. So Doug Peterson takes a look at it after a year and goes, are we sure about this? Yeah. Are we sure? Because, yeah, I know he's the number one overall, and they'll probably give him more time. But they're going to be feeling the pressure knowing, hey, wait a second. There's some really good quarterbacks coming in that Doug Peterson might want to work what with did, a little bit more. Who did Peterson win a Super Bowl with? Right. I'm not saying he'd want him, right. but he knows the possibility of, hey, I can get somebody to run this offense who will be successful. I'll find the guy. So to that point, there will be a lot of quarterbacks feeling the pressure this year, mm-hmm. no matter whether they're in year you know, five or they're year two. But it's the, guy, it's the guys in year two that I think teams look at and go, okay, these guys, I know it's the second year, but you had rookie year. Now it's the second year. you got to show us strides. Look at what Joe Burrow did in Cincinnati. That's going to be out there all year. The flip side of that is, or I guess you could say in conjunction with that, is look what's coming. You don't get it done. You don't pull a Burrow. We can go pull a trigger on somebody else later. So you're carrying a lot of pressure. That said, I think Trevor's going to carry a lot of pressure this year. Zach Wilson, too. But at least in New York, I look around and go, man, there's some talent around him. There's a lot of talent around Funny here. the Bengals should come up in the conversation because Ooh. in the next more likely to happen item. More likely to happen. 
more likely to melt down in 2022, the Cincinnati Bengals or the Dallas Cowboys? Now, the Bengals, let's go back to the regular season here for a moment. The Bengals won 10 games. They went 10-7. and Let us recall that they did win a playoff game at home, but then they had to go on the road. They beat the Titans in Tennessee, and we all saw what happened in Kansas City. Right. As far as the Cowboys go, they won 12 games last year. They were a solid regular season team in a bad division, but solid regular season team. Postseason didn't go so well for them. Right. So, more likely to melt down, Johnny, Dallas or Cincinnati? I would say Dallas because it's Dallas. (laughs) Now, I will say this. That's all the reason you need. That's the analysis (laughs) that you pay good money for, Uh, folks. But I think – the thing is, as I've said already, I do think there will be some regression to the mean for Cincinnati. Although I feel like Cincinnati has done what they needed to do. They needed to shore up the offensive line. They went out and they got Lyle Collins. They added him to the mix. They added a few more. I think they added Ted Karras, I believe, from the Patriots, if I remember correctly, uh, who could play inside either of the inside positions. So they've shored up the one area that everybody seemingly thought was the one area that had to be Short up. They also signed Alex Kappa from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So you look at the offensive line now and go, okay, that's that's a much more legit offensive line than what you had. Burrow and company are in year three. All the weapons are still there. Defensively, I feel like they just continue to add pieces. So it would make sense that the Bengals stay on the trajectory because of how they've improved or continued to improve the team, knowing offensive line's a sore spot, go fix it. They fixed it. Now you look and go, well, what's the sore spot now? Yeah. With Dallas, the reason I said it's Dallas, and that was kind of because rhyme or reason doesn't tell you anything about how Dallas should be a seven win team, and yet they were a few years ago. Um, you know, Dak got hurt, and they just went down the drain. You know, last year they all stayed relatively healthy, I guess, for the most part. Mika Parsons was unbelievable throughout the year. They get to the playoff game, and then they get deboed by the 49ers at home. So, like, wait a second. So the talent's always been there. There's no question about the talent. Now we'll see without Amari Cooper how that goes. And what about the running game? They've also had a few uh, losses on the offensive line. They lost Lyle Collins. They lost Connor Williams. So what's the – and they lost Randy Gregory on the other side of the ball. So they've had some pretty significant losses, whereas look at the Bengals and go, they really haven't lost anybody of of substance. They've gotten better, but they're in a much tougher division. Yes, that is true. I but, know that people are singing the praises of Washington right now, possibly with the, the what? with the rec- Yes, some people are with the receivers that Carson Wentz will have to work with versus what he had with the Colts. Yeah, but what about the running game? And I know thousand yard rusher in Washington. They just but, lost the Pro Bowl guard and Brandon Sheriff up front, and they weren't good to begin with. And if you think Wentz is pulling magic out of his hat, you're nuts. Well, you're nuts. Left-handed, I, he can do amazing. Oh, never mind. Sam Howell's in a great spot with Washington. I mean, I know. <laughs> it's not a bad spot. You're I right. I know he, I mean. Well, I, because either injury or ineffectiveness. Here's my hope. We get Washington week one here like we did in 2014. Yeah. And Wentz just can't get it done. And in the fourth quarter, Ron Rivera calls on Sam Howell. And Howell throws a touchdown in garbage time, but that's it. And just, just enough to kind of weasel in for Wentz because it's done. It's done at that point. They might as well hand the job to Sam Howell. Here's your job. I've got one more for you, and I'm going to do it after the break because we got to run into it. So one more more likely to happen based on the big announcer news of the day here on Texans All Access. 
Mark Vandermeer and John Harris keeping you company. Your Tuesday drive home, wherever you might be going. All right. We have one more more likely to happen item to clean up here. More likely to happen. More likely to be remembered as the best color commentator of this group, Johnny. Troy Aikman, Tony Robo, Romo, Tom Brady, or Chris Collinsworth. Who's going to be remembered as the best color commentator of the group? Should I throw in Drew Brees as well? No, let's just go with those guys. I, I like Brees. I, I do. I like listening to Brees. I, I thought he and Tariko pretty good, I, but I know there are a lot of people that don't care for it. There's some things that they miss during games that you're kind of like, wait a second, why aren't y'all talking? They about all this? miss stuff. Yeah, I know. And, and and so I don't. But but I like I like that that mix. Um, you know, Brady, you never know. But I'll say this about Brady: if Brady lets down his hair a little bit, he's he can be funny. It's kind of like Peyton, Peyton Manning. Like we knew Peyton, Mr. Serious, always in yeah. the film. His commercials were funny. Saturday Night Live was funny. But when he started doing his de- not his detail show, his uh, Peyton's places, and then he started doing more on television, you're like, well, he's really entertaining. Yeah, like, I mean, he's entertaining, funny, and I hope that that Brady does that. The Peyton's places that that Peyton did going with Brady, they went and they played golf. They chipped. On uh, Jim Nance's uh, little uh, par three, he's got at his house, and it was funny as all get out. And I'm like, if Brady does that and brings forth that along with the football knowledge, I think he could be exceptional. I really think he could be exceptional at that point. So I can't believe I'm going to say this because he's never called a game, but I'm going on a hunch that Brady will be the best of that group. I think the best would be Peyton Manning if he would do it. Yes. I know he does the Manning cast, but if he would actually do color and right. sit in the booth, he would be the best. I think he would be outstanding. And I don't think he'd be afraid to be critical either. Now, with Brady, I don't think he projects the way Manning does. I think the sense of humor is good, but it's a little different, and yeah. I don't know if it works in the booth. Yeah. Uh, me and my broadcast buddies were you know, texting back and forth and everything. Everybody seems to think Romo is a little too loosey-goosey. Yeah. But he does bring the energy. I'll give yeah, him does. that. There's no doubt. He's he's dialed down on the prediction business a bit, and he does bring the heat, but he is all over the place. Sometimes it's a big slop fest, but I think it keeps Nance young in a way to have Romo in the booth. Who's the greatest analyst on TV that we've ever had? Ever? Yeah. Madden. Okay. It took a couple of years before what? before he ended up with Pat Summerall. Yeah. And that was magic. And that's why I think Trey Aikman is sort of, I don't want to say underrated. A lot of people don't like Joe Buck, but I think Buck and Aikman fit together really well. I'm curious how Burkhart and Brady fit together. Mm. That no comment. is going to be interesting. <laughs> that's going to be interesting how that goes together because that will bring out the best in Brady. And that's why I think Tariko's good for Breeze. I think Tariko brings some of that out in Drew. But I think Buck and Aikman have a really good good fit. I'm curious to see how Collinsworth – well, it's going to be Collinsworth and Tariko now, right? Yeah. Okay. Tariko's amazing. I think Tariko might be the most talented play-by-play He's man. He's incredible. He's the, incredible. Now, as far as all this stuff goes, it's subjective. Sure. You know, some people like blondes and brunettes or whatever. That's yeah. how it was explained to me Except once. for Madden. I Ma- mean, everybody knows it's Madden. Everybody it knows Madden. it's him, and everybody loves him. I think if you listen to anybody for three hours after a while, you're going to be able to pick things out that you don't like. They're going to miss some things. 
Now, radio is different because radio, most often, you're dependent on the announcers. That's what I love about radio. Yeah. You know, you're in the car driving from point A to point B, and you have this on Sirius XM, or 610 goes all over the place. Yeah. I have people in Austin listening to yep. 610. They drive back. They hear the whole game, whatever. That's awesome for us, and they're dependent on us. Right. It's great. TV, you're not really dependent on the announcers. Yep. They better add to it. But very often I find myself not turning it down all the way, but half paying attention. Yeah. I'm on the second screen. I'm on Twitter or whatever. If it's obviously Texans games, I'm doing them. Yeah. And if it's anything else, I might not be as locked in. So what did your broadcasting buddies have to think about this Brady thing? What's the well, a lot of people, consensus? A lot of people in the business get very jealous, envious, bitter right. about somebody just jumping into the booth making right. gargantuan sums, even if they were the greatest player ever. Right. They just feel that way, right? right? Look at what happened here. Now, Aikman going over to Monday Night Football with Joe Buck, at least they've done it before. Right. Right. Uh, Romo got the huge money, but after he had done it. Right. You know, it was huge money when he started, but it was mega max contract, right. almost literally an NBA max contract, maybe not that much, but a lot of money. Uh, but he had done it, and there was some water under the bridge there, and he had a track record of ratings or whatever they want to look at. I still don't think it, like a lot of people do, I still don't think it brings eyeballs necessarily, but it makes your viewing experience different to have a different announcer. Growing up, was Summerall mad to the game? It mattered. Like you knew, like you knew the game mattered. You know the game's big when you hear certain right. voices. Right. Uh, and and for me, early on, before I was in the business, that was NBA Finals. Dick Stockton and yes. Tommy Heinsohn yes. doing those finals with the Lakers and the Celtics. You knew it, it was, was big. big. Yep. It was big. And yeah, I know it's sacrilegious. I never really liked Marv Albert as the network lead. I always loved Dick Stockton right. doing that job. And I know to younger people who have heard Dick Stockton later in his career, it's not the same. I get it. You know, a lot of announcers aren't going to be yeah. the same, except for me. A lot of announcers aren't going to be the same <laughs> later in their career. You like how I slipped that one in there, huh? Yeah, that's nice. That's I think it's, Johnny, though, I, I think what stinks about it is the deal begins soon enough, right? Yeah. Like, you don't get to have Brady until he's done playing. Right. But the job is waiting for him. I think that bothers people. Yeah. But look, he's Tom Brady. What are you going to do? I mean, if you're Greg Olson. Going in, I mean, like, what's, I mean, hey, we, we, you're not number one, but you're going to be number two, and you're going to be the best number two. I mean, yeah. golly, like, yeah. It's a little uh. tough to take, but at least, hey, it's Tom Brady. What are you going to do? I mean, and, you know, he actually put in his time in working network broadcasts while he was still playing. Who, Olsen? Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I give him credit for absolutely. that. I saw him at the owners' meetings, and we talked a little bit because we had the Miami thing in common, but he was after my years. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's going to do it for the show tonight. Tomorrow we have another big one. Schedule release eve. I can't wait for Thursday. Let's dig in. And stuff is leaking out as well. We'll get to some of the leaks tomorrow. Some of the leaks that have been out there on the schedule uh, because it's not even leaks. The league has released some stuff, and some other things have reportedly, reportedly, have leaked, but I don't think they're accurate. And we've been through this before. <laughs> there are a lot of inaccuracies in some of the stories that are out there. We'll get to it all. Have a great night, everyone. Go Texans.